Good morning, Mount Airy. As a, uh, as a graduate of Florida State University, <laughs> after yesterday, the only thing I know to say is, you're welcome. It is a privilege to be with you. I always enjoy the opportunity. We're normally, my family and I are usually over in the Life Center worshiping, and so it's nice to get a chance to come over and be with you during this service today. I am grateful for Pastor Keith for his invitation to step in for him as he's having an opportunity to enjoy the world's greatest grand, grandbaby, and he will be back tonight. So he has done a wonderful job this past year as president of our South Carolina Baptist Convention. And not only is he a great pastor, but he's been a wonderful leader for Baptists across our state. And I know you'll want to express your appreciation to him uh, for that. Now, if you've got your Bible with you, or your phone, or your iPad, or whatever uh, device you might have that has a copy of God's Word, open it to the book of Acts and the 16th chapter. Acts chapter 16. We're going to be looking there in just a few moments. Yesterday was a special day in our nation because it's the day we celebrate those men and women who have served in our armed forces. President Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. And so we celebrate Veterans Day in gratitude for those men and women who stepped up to defend our freedom. And freedom is at the heart of what it means, isn't it, to be a citizen of our nation. But freedom can mean different things to different people. Now, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when the Supreme Court ruled that a law was unconstitutional if it outlawed burning the American flag as a form of political protest. Now, I think burning the flag is a terrible thing to do. But even if we think that it is a terrible act, we can still appreciate the idea on which the court based its decision, that freedom of speech is a value to be protected, even if it's freedom to do something that offends the rest of us or something with which we strongly disagree. And freedom is something that has to be constantly defended. Coming up in early December, some of you may have been reading about this or hearing about it in the news, the Supreme Court will be hearing the case of Jack Phillips, who's an artist who runs Masterpiece Cake Shop in Colorado. And Jack faces financial ruin because he has refused to use his talents to design a cake celebrating same-sex marriage. His state has said, you must do this. Uh, and so the Supreme Court is going to be deciding whether a state, whether a governmental entity can force someone to violate their religious beliefs in using their own talents. A lot of people believe that religious freedom itself can be on trial, as the court determines if Jack must be forced to violate his religious beliefs. Well, one thing that Americans can agree on is that freedom is important. We may disagree and agree on a lot of different things. We have Republicans and Democrats, liberal or conservative, Pizza Hut or Papa John's, but we can agree that freedom is good and it's important. 
but what kind of freedom? I read about one man that boasted, uh, he said, I like living in New York City because of the freedom. Freedom to live as you wish, freedom to eat what you want, freedom to dress however you like. And with that, he closed the door, locked the latch, turned four deadbolts, inserted the chain, and switched on the alarm system. <laughs> freedom comes in different forms, doesn't it? Well, we Americans have built a society with an amazing level of freedom. I generally have the freedom to pursue whatever I want, so long as I don't bump into you pursuing whatever you want. I'm free to pursue, get an education, pursue a career, live wherever I want. I'm also free to compete for good grades, pay taxes, make mortgage payments. There's freedom, and then there's freedom. Problem is, we don't always know what real freedom is. Now, in the 16th chapter of Luke's Gospel, he tells us a story about freedom. Early in the chapter, Paul has received a message from God that he is to leave behind the missionary work he's been doing in Asia. And he is to move into a new territory. He is to go to Greece to enter into Europe for the first time. And so he boards a ship and he ends up in Philippi which is a Roman city in Greece. Now, we've been hearing a little bit about Philippi recently, haven't we? Pastor Keith has been doing a series from the book of Philippians. Now, in that book, Paul is writing back to the church that he established in this city. But as we read our text today, that's still in the future. In Acts 16, Paul has just arrived in Philippi. And soon after he arrives, he meets Lydia. Lydia was a merchant, she was a Gentile, she was a God-fearer. In those days, there were people who did not believe in the, the various gods, the pantheon of gods of the Greeks and the Romans. They believed, as the Jews did, in one God. They did not fully convert to Judaism, but they worshipped that God, and they were known as God-fearers. And Lydia was one of those. And Paul meets her, he shares the gospel with her, she becomes the first Philippian convert to the Christian faith. And that brings us then to the rest of the story, which will begin in verse 16. And as we read about this event, you're going to notice that some of the characters are in bondage and others are free. See if you can tell the difference. Read with me, beginning in verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell 
and fastened their feet in the stocks. So Paul and Silas have arrived in Philippi. As this story begins, they're on their way to church when they are stopped by a slave girl. She is under the control of a demon who enables her to tell fortunes so that her masters, those who own her as a slave, were able to use her to sell her services and to turn a profit. And she begins following Paul and Silas, shouting out who they were. And finally, Paul, in the name of Christ, cures her. The demon is cast out, and she's free. Well, not quite. She's still a slave. She is a piece of property owned by someone else. And she is a piece of property whose financial value has just hit rock bottom because she can no longer tell fortunes. Those owners are not at all pleased that their meal ticket has been eliminated. Here's a young woman whose life has been ravaged by an evil spirit, and now she's free. You'd think there'd be some rejoicing going on, wouldn't you? But as often happens, religion can get mixed up with economics. We're happy for good things to happen to other people, so long as it doesn't hit us in the wallet. We may not come right out and say it, that God is interfering with our business. We put a much better face on it. So the owners of the girl said, we don't mind a little religion, so long as it stays in its place. But these men are not like us. They're they're doing things that are different than us. Something has to be done. So the magistrates show up. The crowd falls in line with these men. They beat Paul and Silas. They throw him in prison, them in prison. They were put in the very innermost cell. They were locked into the stocks. They are in a dungeon. These men who were liberators on the streets of Philippi are now imprisoned in a Philippian dungeon. Jesus has set a young woman free, and two of his followers end up in jail over it. Serving Jesus does not always end up in a victory parade, does it? Remember that Jesus once healed a deranged man by casting demons out of him and into a herd of pigs. Remember what happened? The pigs then, with a full of demons, scampered over a cliff to their death and their destruction. And for this act of freedom, Jesus was hustled out of town by the Galilee Pork Producers Association. Another time, Jesus healed a disabled man on the Sabbath day. The Jewish authorities attacked him. They sought to kill him because he was violating their religious rules. He provided freedom. They wanted to put him on a cross. Happened to Paul as well in the city of Ephesus. Paul led a great revival. Many people came to Christ. They were freed from idolatry, from the worship of idols. And that's a great cause for celebration. Unless you're one of the people that makes idols. Those guys were not at all thrilled with what Paul was doing. Not everyone celebrates freedom. And so Paul and Silas have freed a girl from demonic bondage, and they end up in prison. Now think about this. If you had done something wonderful, only to get beaten and thrown in a dungeon, how would you respond? I suspect I probably would be grousing a bit. (laughs) I'd be pretty upset, be pretty angry. Imagine getting beaten and jailed for doing something good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm upset enough if I get fussed at for when I did something wrong. But if I did something good and then was beaten and imprisoned over it. So you can just imagine the cries of anguish and frustration that came from the lips of Paul and Silas. Well, 
That's not actually the way things turned out, is it? Look at the story in verse 25. Luke says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now remember, they are in jail. Their legs are bound in stocks. You can only imagine the filth and the smells that surrounded them. They have no way to know if they will ever see the sun again. And they're singing. They're praying. They're having some kind of jailhouse revival meeting. What remarkable freedom they have to be able to sing and to praise God in the midst of terrible circumstances. Emilio de Carvalho was the Methodist bishop in the African nation of Angola at a time when Angola was controlled by a communist government. And on a visit to the U.S. to meet with church leaders, he was asked many questions about what's it like to be a Christian in a Marxist country? One person asked him, said, is the Marxist government supportive of the church? Emilio replied, no, but we don't ask them to be supportive. He acknowledged there were tensions between the church and the government. He said not long ago, for example, the government ordered that we were to disband all the women's organizations in our church. What did you do, said the American pastors. Oh, the women kept meeting, he said. The government's not strong enough yet to stop us. And if they do become stronger? Well, he said, we shall keep meeting. The government does what it needs to do. The church does what it needs to do. If we must go to jail for being the church, we shall go to jail. Jail is a wonderful place for Christian evangelism. Pastor said, evangelism? Yes, said the bishop. Our church made some of its most dramatic gains during the revolution, when so many of us were in jail. In jail, you have everyone there in one place. You have time to teach and preach. Twenty of our pastors were killed during the revolution, but we came out of it a larger and stronger church. Then the bishop added, he said, don't worry about the church in Angola. God is doing fine by us. He said, frankly, I would find it much more difficult to be a pastor in an American city. Here, there is so much. There are so many things. It must be hard to be the church here. There's freedom. And then there's freedom. Picking up the story in verse 26, Luke says, Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. So they are singing, they are praying, they are proclaiming the gospel in a dungeon, and suddenly the earth begins to quake. The prison rattles, the stocks and the chains that bound them fall apart, the jail doors fly open. And in the midst of all this, this commotion, the jailer wakes up. And when he runs down and sees that the jail doors are all hanging open, he is consumed by fear. He knows what will happen to a Roman jailer who permits his prisoners to escape. He will be tortured brutally and then executed. And so he draws his own sword and he prepares to end his life quickly. It's interesting, isn't it? Just having the keys to someone else's cell 
does not make you free. Prisoners have been bound by iron bars and metal chains, but the jailer is bound by fear. Prisons can be made of more than bars and chains, can't they? Let me ask you a question this morning. What is your prison? For some, it might be fear, anxiety, worry. For some, it may be a desire for security. For others, it may be a hunger for things, for financial success. For some, it could involve being consumed by a desire for respect, for fame, to be admired by others. Any number of prisons might be represented. What is it that binds you? The jailer's terrified. He's prepared to end it all when all at once he hears a voice cry out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights. He rushed in. He fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Can you imagine what that jailer was feeling at the moment when Paul cried out to him, don't harm yourself, we're all here. He must have said, you were free to escape. Why are you still here? And Paul would have said, we are prisoners who were free to escape, but we're also free to stay. You, our jailer, were chained to your sword and to your fear. But now, you can be free to escape also. And the jailer asked the most important question anyone can ever ask. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be free like you? And with that, Paul shares the gospel with him. We've been talking about gospel conversations. This is one of the greatest gospel conversations in all of history. And as Paul shares with the jailer and with his family the good news of Jesus Christ. And the jailer and his family give their lives to Christ. They are baptized. They experience the ultimate freedom by becoming part of God's forever family. There is freedom, and then there's freedom. Have you ever thought about why all the other prisoners stayed in the jail while Paul and Silas, with Paul and Silas, even when the doors were open and they could have escaped? In that evening of praise and prayer and gospel proclamation, I can't help but think that the other prisoners had already received the good news that this jailer was about to get. They had already given their lives to Jesus Christ. So by the time the jailer got that, the First Baptist Church of a Philippian dungeon was already, was already underway. Listen to the rest of the story, beginning in verse 35. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. 
even though we are Roman citizens, and threw us into a prison. Now, do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. And after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. What is freedom? By the end of Luke's story, everyone who at first appeared to be free, the owners, the judges, the jailer, were revealed to be slaves. And those who appeared to be enslaved, the girl, Paul, and Silas, are really free. Jesus does that to people. He sheds light on our self-proclaimed freedom to reveal the chains that bind us. And then he removes those chains if we will let him. There's freedom, and then there's freedom. During a visit to Jerusalem, Jesus began teaching in the temple courts. He said, if you follow my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, when Jesus said that, the proud religious leaders that were listening stiffened their necks. They held their heads high. They said, what is this make you free business? We are sons of Abraham. We've never been slaves to anyone. But they lied. The ones who so proudfully, pridefully spoke of their freedom were even then under Caesar's heel. They lived in a nation subject to Rome. Before that, to Greece, the Persians, Babylonia, Assyria, Egypt. And one of the reasons they were so fearful of Jesus and his teaching was they thought he was a threat to their position. Their boasts of freedom were simply the rattling of their chains. How often that's true of us. The world pretends it will make you free. But what the world offers is only an illusion of freedom. Apart from Christ, we are slaves to sin. We are bound to a path that will ultimately lead only to death and destruction. It's only when we open our hearts to Christ, when we repent of sin, when we ask him to come into our lives, only then do we discover the ultimate freedom that God intended for us. As Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's freedom, and then there's freedom. Choose the freedom in Christ that alone frees you to know life in all of its abundance, to enjoy an eternity with the one who made you, who loves you more than you can imagine. Choose his freedom. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, how thankful we are that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Father, we pray that even now, if there's one here who has never come to know you as Lord and Savior, they've never experienced repentance of sin and opening their lives to you, Father, may today be their day of knowing that freedom. Father, maybe there's some here that, that made that decision a long time ago, but, but Lord, they've let the chains come back into their lives. They've not made you a priority. 
And even today can be a day of renewal and recommitment, coming to know you again and the freedom that you offer. Father, whatever the decisions that need to be made, we give these moments to you. We pray that your spirit will accomplish your purpose and your will in our midst. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.